Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. We've had a few conversations around sustainability on this podcast, but possibly the most important thing we can do as parents for our planet is to raise children who understand the need to protect our planet, who understand the impact of consumerism and appreciate that our resources aren't finite. And while both my children cite David Attenborough as the person they admire the most and shed tears at baby seals dying because the icebergs are melting, I still struggle to get them to do the easy things like turning off lights. It really is a constant battle, one that I don't feel like I'm winning. It's like they've signed up to the idea that our planet needs protecting, but their zeal is not reflected in their actions. Reminding them isn't working. Nagging seems to fall on deaf ears, and I know they do care. So what can I do to encourage them to actually be good for our planet? With me today are two people whose despair at the waste that being a parent generates led them to create Young Planet, a platform that digitises the hand-me-down market, enabling parents to find grateful homes for toys, clothes, bikes and all that stuff they no longer need, all for free. Emma and Jason Ash, thank you so much for being here today. You're both clearly passionate about the environment, uh, but how about your three sons? Are they, are they good environmentalists? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you very much for having us. Um, yes, they're definitely eco-minded. Uh, doesn't come naturally. Though. It doesn't come naturally because they are children, and um, you know all those things you said, nagging, and you know all of that. It, it, I, I don't believe it does fall on deaf ears. I think there is, um, it, there, it, it is going in, and. The other day, I was really encouraged when my little one found a hole in his trousers and didn't say, I can't wear these anymore. He said, Mummy, can you sew these up? And I just thought, oh, yes, that's a win. I'll take that. Um, so they are, you know, are they the, you know, the most environmentally friendly children out there? Maybe, maybe not. But they're definitely, um, they definitely think about the planet and their actions. I mean, they're certainly mimics rather than biddable. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter how many times we can rationalise a certain behaviour with them. They do echo some of the things that we do and participate in, particularly if there's something in it for them, um, either directly or indirectly. I think we, we've told a story a couple of times about a, a particularly harrowing David Attenborough scene involving a penguin, which our youngest got very upset about. So we, you know, how do you equate the uh, the melting polar ice caps with turning a light off We've actually put a sticker of a penguin on his light switch, and the sort of the uh, the chant is "Remember the penguins" every time he walks past it, and it's still on. Doesn't always work, uh, <laughs> but we can point towards the penguin as a proxy 
for actually helping things. Is he traumatised by sort of not switching off the light as he remembers the, the dying penguins? <laughs> <laughs> we, we could probably do more with it, but it feels a bit cruel. But. <laughs> But that's really reassuring to know that, you know, that sort of nagging doesn't fall on deaf ears because I think as a parent, that's something that's really difficult. I mean, I just looked at my children eating the other day and I just thought for 10 years I've been telling them about table manners and it seems to have fallen on deaf ears. But then I remembered my mother saying the same thing, always the same, please use your fork and knife. And um, me and my sisters all have really good table manners now, but clearly it took like two decades to achieve that. So I think that's a really encouraging thing to know that even though we can say, this is really important please can you turn off the lights please can you shut the door please can you put on a jumper rather than ask for the heating to be turned up um it is slowly going in but slowly is the key word yes and i think you know as with anything parent related patience is key um so you know it can be very you know it is at times incredibly frustrating um you know you go up and it's lit up like a christmas tree in the top of the house and you've you've followed them out after the you, know, you drop them off to school and you realise the light's been on all day and, you know, you can't fail but be <laughs> a bit exasperated. But, um, you know, t- take the small wins in parenting. And I-, I think, you know, the fact that when our children have outgrown something, they get really excited about working out who we can give it to, who we can pass it on to. And, you know, they realise that all items have a cycle, and it's about prolonging that cycle. So they're pretty respectful of their things, actually. And I was, Jason and I were talking about this and just saying, you know, I was quite a strict mother about their books. There's some parents who let their children scribble in books and sometimes tear books. And I used to get quite biffy, frankly, if they did that. And I say, look, you know, a book is an item that could go on and, you know, give pleasure to so many children, not just you. But if it's broken you know, they, they, don't get me wrong, it can still serve a purpose as long as you can read the the, um, the the words. But if it is completely defaced, well, then you, you've destroyed it. And so those sort of things are trickling down and they are, you know, if they break something, they do bring the bits to me and expect the superglue to come out and that I'll repair it, um, which is really encouraging. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But they are mini human beings, right? They're mini adults. And so we, we do we do look for incentives and actually observe incentives as well. So when Hector, our smallest, will talk about giving something to someone, it is, I suspect, in some very small part to do with uh, a conscious decision to avoid waste and support the environment. It's also about feeling smug about giving something to someone and someone being grateful. Now, there's smug, but also happy that somebody is gotten something from him and he feels good about that um so there's you know there's lots of there's there's rational ways to enforce it as well as emotional i think yeah and i I love that idea that we're thinking about we're teaching them about what is disposable because obviously looking at the environment probably one of the biggest problems we face is waste you know and that whole disposable industry of disposable takeaway stuff and coffee cups and um, the stuff that's reused is obviously so much better for the environment but the idea that some children would treat their clothes as essentially disposable you know they've worn them so they can go or they've got a hole in so they can go or their toys or their their books um, the idea is that you are one owner of this item but there can if you look after it be many more owners to this item and it's a kind yeah. of change of mindset about what disposable is and just because you eschew the plastic spoons or the straws 
skills. That doesn't mean you're being good. You know, we need to think about increasing the, the longevity of everything we use. Exactly that. Exactly that. And actually, you know, Young Planet, the app that we've, we've started is exactly for that reason. And we feel that, you know, particularly children's items, they go through so many security, you know, tests and, you know, plastic in and of itself isn't a huge evil because those big plastic items that they have, particularly in the younger years, are really sturdy and can be wiped down and disinfected. And just because your child has outgrown it doesn't mean that it's for the bin. It can go on and and give pleasure to many, many children and just get wiped down with disinfectant each time between new families. Um, And that's obviously really important at the moment. Let's not forget that. But, um, you know, it is... It is about the items having a life of their own and just not being wasteful. Just that that is the key. And I suppose, too, there's the mindset that traditionally, um, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, that, you know, a present was new. And if you got something that was secondhand, it was a bit of a dud present. How much... I mean, presumably it's really important to change that mindset that a present is a present. I mean, my children are constantly getting secondhand stuff and I've got younger nieces and nephews and I refuse to buy anything new for them because I've got all these lovely toys that aren't used. They've just been pre-loved and pre-worn in and clothes and everything like that. And I just think so much better to receive a present rather than a present with a tag on or in a plastic bag because it's new. Uh, absolutely. And I think I think children, particularly younger children, are less affected by consumerism and status through money and spend. They're just in and of the thing and the moment itself. And that's a lesson for all of us. But the idea that from a parenting point of view, that there's some kind of compromise in buying something secondhand or receiving something secondhand is something that I think we are all evolving to embrace and will continue to do so over time. So, you know, with Young Planet, we talk about things. It's not about whether you can afford to buy something or not. It's that you can't afford to waste the things that you that are, again, usable somewhere else. And I think children get that. And I think over time, even older children, and thank God we're not in this sort of expensive trainers phase, but even older children, how much something costs will not be the proxy of value or quality, for that matter. The fact that something has lasted several times over through either generations or families is a mark of sturdiness and quality in and of itself. And that's something we as parents, I think, we emphasize on the app in talking to parents because there is, you know, secondhand is not a bad word. Uh, It's how it's positioned. Something that's been reused again and again and again is invariably high quality. We have, you know, we could say at the genesis of Young Planet, there was a, uh, our oldest was three at the time and fell in love with one of this beautiful old sort of steel and wooden radio flyer um, fire truck, you know, amazing piece of Americana built in the 60s. Um, we were we went to a, a garage sale, as the Americans call it. Uh, Freddie made a beeline for it, started hooting around the, the driveway. We thought, oh, God, we've got we to buy this now. And the guy just said within minutes, you know, it's so cool to see somebody enjoying that. It reminds me of, he, he was an empty nester, it happened to be. Um, but the joy of seeing someone in, uh, as a proxy for your own you know, historic experiences with it, but also the impact element of it is worth more than the $20 he would have gotten at the time. And, you know, it is a proxy for quality. 
And I think that's probably really important in terms of, you know, when we say we all do it as parents, you know, as a treat, I'm going to buy you a present. Yeah. And instead of going to the shop to buy, or like to the new shop to buy a present, I always take my children to flea markets or to the secondhand shop. Like their favourite shop in town is Oxfam because actually for them, that's where they find the best books. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. often they're the books that, you know, that, that A, they can afford a lot more for their money, but also there's just something lovely about a used book. And, the, you know, we were in a sort of um, a little secondhand antique shop and my son found a beautiful Swiss army knife, which in the shop would have cost probably like 75 quid, but it yeah. was 15 pounds. And this is a, an item made to last. And actually, if anything, it improves with age. And I think because they have been used to always going to these shops and discovering these treasures and feeling almost more excited to have found something unique. There's not six more on the shelf waiting for it to be bought. They now, their perception of kind of used stuff, whether it's books or pen knives or clothes, is actually as this is a real steal, this is a real find, as opposed to this is a slightly rubbish present. Yeah, and there's more in it for them, right? They actually get more at the end of the day uh, because it's not constrained by the the cost or the wastefulness of buying something new and the impact is almost like an ancillary benefit to that but for them it's more stuff and it's probably a higher frequency of stuff as well through secondhand because it's more available well and listen i'm not advocating more and more and more stuff because actually no. i think we all need to think about getting less but at the same time you know i talk to my children about you know the benefit of buying something secondhand a you've spent less money B this item has not gone into waste it's not gone into landfill it's being loved and used for a longer period of time but also you know there's been no delivery pallet delivering this from China or wherever it was made there was no you know we all see how much packaging everything has and we don't see actually the half of it the polystyrene that comes into the crates and you know um, so all of that is such a sort of bonus and then very often at the second hand shops and the charity shops you get a lovely little paper bag rather than endless sort of you know, wrapping and that you just don't need. So I would say to them, listen, this is a such a good purchase on so many levels. And it's almost like rebranding that kind of pre-loved to them. Because I, I, de- I definitely feel that I've, I've, I've bought a dress in a secondhand shop and someone was like, I love your dress. And I was like, do you know what? It cost me £4.90 from the charity shop. And that was so cool. That was much better than if I'd said, oh, it's this fancy designer label, which, you know, I would never have done. But so much better to kind of find something for a steal. Totally. And also it makes you feel you know, smug because it's something that no one else can actually get. You know, they can't go down to the charity shop and buy the same dress because it's a one-off. Um, <clears throat> all this, you know, we're talking of packaging, one thing that makes us giggle in our family is um, my parents were really strict about <laughs> when we unwrapped presents um, at birthday and Christmas, we were not allowed to rip the paper. We had to, my father's pen knife is with him all the time. He whips it out of his pocket and every birthday or Christmas, we have to slice through the sellotape. Still. And, still. And, you know, I remember we had a friend, you know, for, for one of our boys' birthdays and she was flabbergasted to see these children carefully unwrapping and it was like, don't scrunch it, don't rip it, because it can be reused time and time again. Now, we've got to the point where actually, frankly, there was too much wrapping in our house and I need to be a bit brave and work out which bits have got too tatty. But, you know, what's funny is actually they see the paper go, oh, my gosh, that was on my, you know, whatever last year. Um, you know, and it's become a, a bit playful now. And Well, they I- will grow up as children who continue to do that, who think... 
Well, listen, we, we're going to waste some stuff. There's a certain amount of, of waste that is just part and parcel of living. But if every time you throw something away, you think, could I reuse it? Could, yes. I, could I be a bit more environmental? You're much more likely to have a huge impact than someone who just doesn't even think about it. And I guess that's what you're doing. You're, we're teaching them to think yeah. and eventually teaching them to think for themselves. Yeah. I mean, even this morning, um, the boys were laughing because we ended up with, I sort of keep, any box that arrives through the door, I keep it because I think, oh, I might be able to reuse that, whether I'm sort of posting something off a young planet, whatever it is. And I ended up um, with two mini boxes, to be honest. And I nearly thought, well, I'm going to put them out for recycling. But then I thought, no, do you know what? There probably is someone in my position who actually might need the boxes. So I put it on one of the various sites, you know, recycling sites locally. Lo and behold, a lady was utterly delighted, said, yes, please, I'd love them. And they were just empty boxes. But it meant that they were used and they will hopefully go on to be used again. You don't, you know, everything, to your point, you need to just ask, could it be used by someone, you know, or should it be thrown away? Because even mm. the recycling, it, it's good. It's much better to recycle than to not recycle. But there's still a lot of energy that goes into, you know, mulching the paper and all those, all those things. So, yeah, that's, I, I mean, you know, our children, going back to, you know, what, what we can do to, I think our children are very accepting of things not necessarily always being shiny and new I mean we gave our son our middle son a, a bike and his first question said mommy did it come out of a skip now he wasn't far wrong because it it was second hand but it didn't come out of a skip but you know they 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 don't think oh you're such a cheapskate you mean mommy or and daddy for doing that they they know that actually it's a perfectly good item you can get, you know, if it needs new brakes, you you get new brakes and service. You don't need a whole new bike, you know. No, and you can you can clean it up, you yeah. can polish it a bit, and you can add a new basket if that's what you want. And yeah, exactly. um, and also the effort's probably arguably a lot more effort for you to have sourced a second hand to bike than clicked on Amazon and got one delivered. Yeah, and a well. present is all about the effort. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what we tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, because the idea, I think sometimes what children struggle with is that when they see the melting ice caps, it's difficult to, it feels very abstract. And I do think there's a, you know, there are some children that catastrophize about the environment. And when they hear about the, mental, uh, the, the melting ice caps, they're literally thinking, are we going to wake up covered in water in the morning because global warming is, you know, and then there are, and so there are children that sort of worry excessively, but there are children that don't really worry that much at all or at least say they worry like my children but don't seem to do any have any actions I mean I found that watching documentaries is important but the other really important part is that continuing the conversation at home so watching as a family and then having a sort of series of discussions around how to interpret that documentary as opposed to taking it at, at face value yeah I, I mean that's we have um most Saturday evenings a sort of movie night in the family and we all sort of hunker down and you know, that's exactly what we do. We will watch documentaries and we will talk about it. And I think actually some of them are, I think the our older boys get, you know, understand that we can each take make steps to sort of do our bit. The little one, you know, he's only just turned eight, but he was, you know, in the young years, he really was quite traumatised by some of the things he saw. Um, but, you know, you, you just explain you know, it's a conversation and that's all we can do as parents is constantly 
educate our children about and and speak to them and just say look but the fact this comp- this um documentary has aired means more people are aware that this is a problem and more people will actually take steps to make things better and if we all do a little bit then it will amount to something big and better yeah and i think that's the key so it's not one big good versus evil thing it's because it's vastly complicated um and it, it's at every touch point in modern life, unfortunately, because that's why we're, you know, why there's a problem. But the, um, you know, what you can do in your own household, and how you can incentivize children to do that, both emotionally and materially, and being consistent. And, they, and let's remember, they're mimics, so kind of walking the walk ourselves as well, um, is about as much as you can do. And for us, we've found the sort of lionizing items and things, giving things a personality, enabling them to form attachments to things and therefore seeing physical objects less of a transaction and a use and throw away thing, uh, you know, extending their life emotionally as well as materially, uh, the things that is, um, is it, it does all hit home. And it's not like it's superficial or minor because that construct is something minute by minute, day by day, we all have to embrace in everything we do. Otherwise, it won't get better because it isn't just a... It isn't just a big swing of the bat or a simple solution. It is literally everything we do. There's an element that we could do better. And so it's just, you know, biting off the bits that we can address day by day. And I suppose, you know, part of looking after our planet relies on innovation. You know, someone tomorrow is going to have a brilliant idea for how to, you know, reduce waste or, you know, and and so I guess it's also having a conversation as a family and saying, what do you think we can all do? You know, I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to be really you know, specific about recycling and making sure that I'm actually cleaning everything out properly. Well, what do you want to do? What do you think would make a difference instead of giving them a little bit of ownership? Because if actually the idea has come from them, they're much more likely to uh, to keep to it than if you're being like, turn the lights off, do the recycling <laughs> and make sure that I'm not going to give you anything, pla- you know, anything plastic in your snack or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think ownership, you know, that applies... We all, you know, whether grown-ups or little people, ownership of something gives you that, um, gives you the power, doesn't it, really? It's a bit cliche to say it. But um, I think, you know, you know, intangible examples, you know, sometimes, because we're very fortunate in that we can cycle to school. And don't get me wrong, there are mornings like this morning where it was chucking down with rain and we get those little eyes going, oh, I don't really want to call my baby. You're like, but, you know, frankly, we get there as quick and we're not using the engine and we're not, you know, and you just, they sort of, you say, look, you're doing your bit. So I think positive reinforcement when they do do something, particularly when it's not necessarily something they want to do, you know, frankly, this morning they did want to get in the car and be driven to school. Mm. But, you know, the positive, like you've done something good today, reward children love rewards and and a lot of these documentaries are almost by design trying to shock and make people feel guilty and they absorb that messaging without the comprehension of how they can address it so a bike ride in the rain is one way where they can address that sort of received guilt from you know it's not it's not a four-year-old's fault that the world is in the problems that it has today environmentally and they they, and they're pretty daunted by what they can do but by breaking it down into things like the wrapping paper or the penguin on the light switch or the bike ride in the rain means that they are you know in their own small way addressing the the received guilt they get from the information they receive 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I guess the other point to make to them is that no one is perfect. Absolutely yeah. no one has zero ways, zero carbon footprint. And life is, is a balance about thinking, what do we use? Because, you know, often... It's a more complicated conversation. We were talking about cling film the other day um, with my children. And I was like, I get cling film's terrible. And I used to use it a lot. But I do, I'm going to hold my hand up. I still have cling film in the kitchen because there are some instances where, like, for example, I find with the beeswax wraps, that never keeps the cheese yeah, fresh. Yeah, yeah. And then I actually end up chucking it away. Well, what's yeah. better, using a little bit of cling film just for the cheese or putting it in a Tupperware or something. Um, and then I, the cheese can actually last for quite a long time. And so I say to Ludo, you know, I still have the cling film, but now that I'm aware of it, I use maybe a roll every two years as opposed to a roll every two months. So we've reduced our waste, but it's not about obliterating it, obliterating it. Because I think the danger if we feel if we make our children feel too guilty is they then think, well, I can never win, so yeah. I'm going to give up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not an easy. It's not an. It's not a visible win either. So we have. We I Emma will hear me ranting about avocados, for example. We, we all love avocados. They're they're amazing things. They're available twelve months of the year in these these days and times, but they come in. They you know their green skin is their own form of packaging. They come in a plastic tray and invariably in a plastic bag, which is absurd when you think about it. And in and of itself, but actually the reason it comes packaged like that is because the life is extended fourfold, which means a that it can get here twelve months of the year, which is a questionable thing, but b when it gets it hit lasts, which means there's less food waste. So it's not as simple as no plastic or no wrap it's it's complicated um and it's it's not easy but you know the more the more efforts and the more small things we do cumulatively the more we will address it and exactly i mean i was speaking to my children the whole time about eating what's in season and occasionally they'll go mommy we want raspberries in january i'm like no i'm really sorry no <laughs> but then occasionally like one of them was sick hadn't eaten for ages and she was like i just feel like raspberries i'm like okay but that's fine because we're not ordering the raspberries every single week we're having it as a real treat understanding that you know a the raspberries are really expensive but b they've also been flown across the world so there is a huge <laughs> sort of impact for them but you know as as in most things in life, sometimes, you know, you spoil yourself, you indulge yourself. And you've, as long as you've asked yourself the question and thought, OK, in this special instance, then it's we're not perfect and none of us are going to achieve perfection. I think the key is doing everything you do, do it consciously and conscientiously, both. And if you as long as you have those ticking over in the back of your mind, you know, you will you will invariably end up doing more good than bad. 
and that's all you can ask for and that's the same with the children as long as you know you know that their hearts are in the right place that they're aware of it and they're trying in their own little ways and yes they still leave the lights on but that doesn't mean that they're not absorbing the messages um and they won't end up doing they might end up doing something mega and you know you just you know it's it's positive reinforcement and and yeah doing things sensibly consciously waste not wastefully and you too obviously you now lead a very environmentally friendly life a very proactive establishing this this great app um what do you think in your childhood influenced the way you think and behave now my parents were very frugal um and thrifty and they they taught me to appreciate everything we had um and you know it was i think the thriftiness meant that when i did get things i didn't take them for granted and that was that's a really important thing um and you know back to what jason said it's not about choosing second hand items because that's all you can afford it's because you can't afford to be wasteful so that that has shifted a bit in my you know in my life but certainly when I started you know when I was growing up it's because we couldn't afford things so yeah I think that's really given me the drive and now you know I'm I'm so passionate about it and it does make me laugh because Jason gets driven mad all our friends drop off things that they want to get rid of because they know I will find a new home for it and it's quite tiring it takes effort but it makes me feel really good (laughs) <laughs> doing it but I, I do think you're there's an interesting point there where the the dry the solutions are the same so if we uh we, we talked the other day about you know the sort of post-war years of make do and men thriftiness rationing those are economic necessities it, it for for much of the the western world certainly it's not an economic necessity because we're we're in we're in a different position now culturally and societally but there is an environmental pressure uh, to behave in similar ways, so there is a there's a retro angle to sort of make do and mend uh, that is quite pleasing and quite multi generational actually and quite familiar. But actually, the driver behind it is completely different. But the solutions are pretty similar, uh, and they are actually fairly basic and common sense. Uh, but we have some some reason lost it. I mean, I'm amazed by the amount of younger people I know who who don't sew. And you know, I'd see a hole in a sock, and I'd just say, "Well, I'll sew it. It'll take me three minutes. It's very straightforward to do it." You know, but I guess it's with the advent of Amazon, it's so easy to click on something, and you don't even put in your credit card details, and it's there the next day, and it's become almost this sort of easier option. But I guess. By showing your children how you can increase the longevity of things, even if sometimes it does take a bit more effort, it, when they are then financially independent, and even if that's with an allowance, but, you know, the kind of allowance whereby, I mean, I've got friends who've got slightly older children and they get a sort of monthly allowance, but they have to buy all their clothes and all their you know, deodorant and whatever else they need to use. They've got to budget. Um, yeah. And actually, when they have, you know, when you've got the bank of mum and dad, it's very easy to go, oh, I need new school shoes. They're a bit tight. This is what my children always say, a bit tight. And I, I get it, their, their feet are growing. But I'm like, how tight are they? Could we maybe, like, eke them out for another couple of weeks till the end of the summer term? Because actually, by the time the autumn term starts, your feet will have grown another size and then we'll need another pair of shoes. <laughs> you know, if they're not paying for those shoes and they're unaware of the sort of environmental cost of those shoes, they're like, oh, no, a little bit uncomfy. I'll just get some shoes. Thank you very much. Whereas if they have to pay for them themselves, they're going to think, oh, 
do you know what? Maybe it's okay to have slightly too tight shoes for the last two weeks of term. Um, and then you're teaching them, I think, a really important thing that life isn't perfect. Like if nothing has to, like if, if your jumper's a bit itchy, so be it. If your jumper's a bit tight, that's okay too. Like we're not always <laughs> going to have sort of perfect parameters in which to exist. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, it's funny, actually, I think the CBI published some data last week about how many new businesses have been created over the last 12 months. And it's the old adage of constraint drives innovation. And if you are constrained, either budgetary or um, or you perceive the constraint to be the waste factor of the environment, you will look for things to address that constraint. And if that is sewing a hole in a pair of socks or having a, you know, wearing a jumper instead of putting the heating on, or putting the fire on or whatever it might be, that, that is, that's a natural cause and effect. And so maybe, actually, we need to start that kind of whole allowance idea where they pay for kind of a greater share of what they need earlier on, to start teaching them earlier on, and maybe even give them a little less money or give them maybe a bonus at the end if they've spent less money. Because I do think that's a really powerful sentiment, um, Emma, this idea of sort of thriftiness and make, do and mend. And I think that if that is something, I mean, my grandmother, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother growing up, and she was very much that wartime generation. And it's had a huge impact on me as a person. I cannot stand waste. And I will, I find myself being really creative to think right you know thinking about what food to consume in the fridge looking at the sell-by dates and thinking right even though I don't feel like chicken tonight we're going to have chicken tonight because this is the last day we can have it and yet so many people I know are like oh well do you know what we'll just chuck the chicken and we'll eat the pork I I sort of I'm not sure what the percentage is but it's a relatively high percentage of everything in our fridge has a reduced use within a day sticker on it and it's not always used within a day no, my favorite i think you know shops like the co-op they do you go in at 6 p.m all their fruit and veg is suddenly discounted to ridiculous amount you know so so sort of affordable and frankly unless it's moldy fruit and veg is fine and you can you could be really you can have amazing things that actually would other back to your raspberries they might be a treat but then if they're reduced down to sort of 59p for a punny you're like super we'll have 10 of those and they're probably right <laughs> which means there's more sugar and fructose in them anyway for the you know that's what the you know it's a treat right it's a it's a more indulgent treat I mean, the other thing that I think has had a big impact on my children's appreciation of food which ultimately gets delivered to the table you know they generally don't cook it was over lockdown we started growing our own vegetables and my children realized what effort it takes to grow the tomato that they totally took for granted and I think then also the joy of seeing this seed turn into a tomato plant or whatever carrots it made them much more appreciative and much less likely to waste Um, just seeing you know that's something that we take for granted we know where tomatoes come from but actually until you grow them yourself you don't realize quite how much love and effort goes into them (laughs) they're tricky those tomatoes (laughs) yeah but it's rather like the journey is the thing right and i'm sure there's a bigger bigger philosophical point in there but going on a train somewhere or going on a car journey somewhere you are more appreciative of the change and variance and distance than you are getting on a plane and it's it, it's the, it's the same dynamic. Like just appreciating where things come from and where they go to, is something that we will you know grown ups as well as children can all you know benefit from just being conscious of. Yeah, I mean this idea. I think so much of the problems we have in society are taking things for granted. Yeah. 
you know, I'll just jump on a plane. Yeah. I'll just get that really cheap T-shirt and not thinking about the journey of that item. So I guess, you know, again, having the conversation with our children going, I know you really want that, but let's think about that journey and how much it has cost, not just my wallet, but or your wallet, uh, but the world and the environment and the potentially the, the livelihoods of the people who've made it, you know, looking at the sort of sweatshop industry mm. of underpaid people, yeah. you know, that they are aware of that too, obviously in an age appropriate way, but just so that they they don't take it for granted. Yeah, and actually sort of silly things like, you know, if we run out of milk, well, you, you wait until we're actually going to the shop for more than just a pint of milk. You don't just get in the car to go and buy a pint of milk. You need to sort of make that journey sort of worthwhile and, you know, use it for a trip to the library at the same time or, you know, when you're doing a bigger shop. Um, I mean, hopefully you don't run out of milk because that would be disastrous in our house. But, you know, that's the sort of thing I mean. You know, when you run out of something, you don't just necessarily go, oh, I can get it and I'll just go and get it now, you know. But but actually, teaching children that running out of milk isn't disastrous. I mean, the fact that they're in a position whereby they think if there's no milk in my house, that is a disaster. I mean, for some children, if there's milk in their house, that is like the most amazing experience ever. I had that the other day and my children were like, what are we going to put on the cereal? So I was like, well, why don't we try it with orange juice? We got orange (laughs) juice. Um, And they were like really and I said yeah come on let's do it and so they put it on and it was perfectly fine actually they quite liked it (laughs) and that I think is again teaching children to be flexible they are so inflexible and our kind of security and wealth has allowed them to be really inflexible and if we can teach them how to be less inflexible then they're going to be better better human beings definitely and on every level the the more curiosity it, on every level with uh, with children the better uh whether it's education whether it's you know later on in life under being curious about where things come from and where they go is such a critical life skill actually um for all of the above and that curiosity is you know within some children there is an innate curiosity but i believe that the unlocking of that curiosity falls to the parents and it's about then talking with them so sitting down and eating with them and thinking about where the food on your plate came from where the stuff that you took for granted came from and initiating the series the the lifetime of conversations that um you know w- will stem from that yeah exactly um, I want to talk a little bit about um, Young Planet, which is the uh, the, the app that uh, you started. It's such a great idea because I think so often with when you become parents, it's I always I teach antenatal classes and I always say to the women on the antenatal classes, buy as little as possible because if you think there's a lot on your shopping list now, just you wait until <laughs> you know your child is five and they suddenly are their own independent consumer. And like this is the easy bit, so borrow as much as you can. You know, don't buy stuff until you absolutely have to. Um, and I think, you know, it coincides obviously with the time that we're so aware of the planet that we're leaving to future generations. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, about Young Planet and about how people can use it, not just to get rid of stuff that they've got, but also to acquire stuff that they need. Uh, well, it's, I mean, effectively, what it, I mean, neither of us are, are techies per se, uh, but it is a tech platform. Um, it's entirely designed for people to list and declutter uh, for things that are no longer used but have life left in them. And if you need things, and let's face it, it's in children's nature to want things, it's in our nature as parents to provide for them. Um, if you observe your own children, you know, 80, 90% of what they have is, is, is just left sat there, unused, but is usable. 
But the next step on, whether it's a four-year-old to a six-year-old or a six-year-old to an eight-year-old, what they want is probably sat somewhere else as well. And all Young Planet is a, is a conduit and a connector between the two. Um, so there are people with stuff that is no longer being used that can list it and declutter. Uh, and actually in giving it to somebody that wants it, and want is the key, um, and receives it sort of visibly, is actually quite the gift of giving, or the joy of giving rather, is, is a really nice community thing. Um, but likewise, when you want stuff, you know, the, the, impact, the, the impact assessment of most of the things involved in raising children is enormous in terms of plastics, oils, transports, fossil fuels, everything. If it's sat there being unused, use the app to get hold of it, basically. And what, all we're doing is digitizing and adding scale to hand-me-downs. And it's as simple as that. And do you know what? I think there's a sort of two-pronged benefit for parents here. Not only are you, you know, there's the guilt that I was feel so guilty about getting rid of stuff that I no longer need, especially if I haven't used it as much as I anticipated. <laughs> Let's face it, we've all been in that position. Absolutely. But the other, you know, when I'm having a declutter at home, the other p- people that I find it difficult to convince are my children who are like, oh, no, but that little fluffy owl that they have not even touched for four years are like, oh, but it's my favorite toy and you're like oh god I can't get rid of anything but actually understanding that it's going to go and make someone else really happy I think is a really good incentive for them you know you're promoting sort of generosity and sort of toning down that innate selfishness that is in all children Um, but also you know showing them you know it's the, the the start of charity you know what's more important the feelings you have about the owl that you never played with or the fact that a child another child would be able to give all their love to this owl <laughs> and that's it is a lovely and it really is lovely when you get a message um from the person who's received your item to say you have no idea uh you've so what an example was i gave away some we had some little um wooden trucks a little fire engine and a woman requested it and she said thanks to you my child is so distracted that i can actually feed them because they've fallen in love with these trucks and she can actually put that little spoon in and, and get the food down and just getting those personal stories is is part of part of young planet as well um and i think it's very you know children particularly the infant stage going back to newborns there is a lot of stuff but it is used for a nanosecond and there is absolutely no reason why it can't go on to you know you give joy and and help parents you know, two, three, four, five, six, you know, multiple times. I mean, there's real utility in some of the items. If you think about one of the things that goes quickest on the app, and we've had, I think we're up to almost 15,000 thing, items through it in the last sort of 12, 12 to 16 months, um, like a balance bike. So if a child is struggling to get off of stabilizers onto a bike, it's really difficult. You've already bought the bike more often than not. Uh, what do you do? Well, you don't want to spend another 75 or 100 quid on a balance bike. Uh, some people do. Uh, that balance bike is used for two weeks and then they're on a bike again properly. And that balance bike has been used for the sum total of, you know, 21 days or whatever it is. And then it's just sat there. So it's a, it's one of those things that's incremental. You're not really sure whether you need it or not. It, it will do its job pretty quickly because there's obsolescence built in to children. You know, they develop, they move, they grow. Um, and there's no reason why that can't go through six, 10, 12 pairs of hands before it and before it's even mended, let alone you know, reach the end of its first life. And that's what we're finding. So whether it's things like, you know, car seats, prams, buggies, baby baths, I forget what the name is, you know, we, we've seen 
dozens and dozens of those baby platforms that you put in a bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they don't get used for that long. They're essential, particularly when you're starting. And they're big and bulky to store. Yeah, Yeah, but particularly when you're starting and you don't know what children want or need, you you think, yeah, definitely, that's something I really need. And and actually, it turns out you probably don't anyway. But if you do, it's not going to last that long. Or it's not going to be irrelevant. It can last a very long time. But its relevance to you is actually quite small. And presumably, too, because you are a platform in which there are no kind of monetary transaction takes place, you have fewer restrictions in terms of what items can change hands than, say, a charity shop where, I mean, I, I think... Um, I think I think I'm right in saying that charity shops can't sell car seats, Correct. can they? Yeah. Yeah. So the light because it's not a retail situation. I mean, obviously we we do lots of checks on you know data information quality, all those sorts of things. But it is it, it's it's listed and received uh, amongst the parents as opposed to us selling it and becoming a transaction. So the things that you know charity shops we, we aren't we, and we're always sort of um, very purposely not about haves to have nots. And this is this point about, you know, it's not about whether you can afford to or not. It's whether you can afford to be as wasteful as you are. Uh, it's very much just common sense. We've got all this stuff sat here being unused that could be used. You know, the children want X, Y, Z. That's probably sat somewhere else being unused. We are the what and the how of Young Planet is like any kind of two-sided marketplace. But the why is very much about impact, waste, environment, and brackets cost. Because a lot of these things cost a lot of money. You don't need to spend it. And by, by not spending it and not buying something new, the enormous sort of bow wave of impact that goes into manufacturing something and transporting something and getting it into a shop or getting it to you from Amazon, wherever it might be, is also negated. And, and then to the point earlier on, the stuff that goes around, that comes around again and again and again, tends to be of high quality as well because it lasts longer. Um, and maybe too, you know, if you inevitably save money, maybe at the end of a month or six months or a year as a family, you look back and see how much money you have saved by being less wasteful. And then as a family get together and go, well, what should we do with this? You know, which charity should we support? Which conservation charity yep. should we support? Okay. Engage the children in that conversation. And again, that gives then, you know, substance mm. to to what, to their actions. And that's going to have a hugely lasting impact on, on their kind of psyche. Absolutely. And even tactically listing the owl, for example, in your example, and requesting three things, they've tripled down on something they weren't using as well. And, and no money's t- changed hands. And four items in that instance would have been kept out of landfill, which is a good thing. Although I do not want four items to replace the owl <laughs> they never played with in my house. The whole point was decluttering. <laughs> so I will not be suggesting that. <laughs> But I will definitely be suggesting Young Planet. Um, It's been so lovely to chat to you both. Uh, I feel so much more positive about this sort of difficult message. Um, What is the website for Young Planet? Uh, Just youngplanet.com. It's available on Android and uh, iPhone in the App Store and the Google Store. So it's dead easy. And Young Planet without a gap. Correct. (laughs) Perfect. Um, uh, Well, um, Emma and Jason, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And on behalf of like future generations, thank you as well, because it really is a brilliant thing that you're doing. Thank you very much. Um, And thank you. Thank you all for listening to this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review this episode wherever you found it. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. And from Emma, Jason and me, goodbye. 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.